is Zachary Resnick, and uh, here with you, Constantine Kogan. Hi, Zach. Hey, Constantine. Great to be on the show. Yes, and uh, Zach is a um, managing partner of Outbound Capital, and uh, we're going to talk about his journey in this uh, crypto world and basically how he, and why he decided to build a, a, crypt, a hybrid model of uh, crypto and venture hedge fund, right? And before we start, like, you know, I, I think it's important in this uh, days to give a, a little bit of a, a, a disclaimer and <laughs> say that we're not a, a research report and not an, it's, we're not giving investment in legal advice. It's a personal opinion. And basically, uh, this, this content is only for informational purposes. Uh, so from here, we can start and we can talk about, you know, uh, your journey, it's, uh, you know, like I've heard about your name you know, from various sources and somehow we've met each oh, other. various. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm lucky to have you here. And, you know, to begin with, I'm just curious to hear about your journey. You know, it, it all starts somewhere and just tell, tell us how you got into this uh, crypto rabbit hole and why did you start your fund? So I first heard about Bitcoin in the context of poker. Uh, so poker players were both early adopters of the technology as well as early speculators, um, uh, largely through online poker. Um, so what's always been the bottleneck towards scaling any type of online gaming is payment processing and getting money in and out uh, of these different gaming sites and dealing with the different gambling laws all around the world. So when Bitcoin uh, you know, f first became a little bit popular, uh, you had sites that supported uh, depositing and withdrawing with Bitcoin. So that's when I first saw it. Didn't really think much of it. It was like, oh, this is this weird thing. Some of the sites are giving you like a, a bonus to, to use this. It's supposedly faster. Some people are using it. Some poker players got in the habit of only doing their withdrawing in Bitcoin and then, you know, that appreciating a lot and kind of got used to that. Uh, so I heard stories, but you know, I never really kind of dove in. Uh, what made me kind of dive in and, and learn and, you know, within a short period of time, want to, you know, look at this in a professional context was actually a completely chance encounter. Uh, I was uh, staying at an Airbnb in Tel Aviv and the, the owner of the Airbnb, I uh, was renting like a room in his apartment. Uh, and, you know, we, we spoke a little bit uh, when I first got in and asked what he's doing. And his name is Yuval Ruach and he's the, the founder of Bits of Gold, which is now, you know, a big company. They're the largest, uh, Bitcoin uh, to shekel or Bitcoin core to shekel exchange. Um, and yeah, we ended up talking that night for like five hours. And then I kind of went down the rabbit hole. And within a few days, I first got a little bit of exposure to Bitcoin. Uh, this was in uh, 2016. How much did you buy? Um, I put, you know, about by the end of my like buying spree after the month, about 20% of my, you know, very meager college student net worth at the time. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> bullish still, like, you know, like, you know, as a, as a, as a poker player, you know, like, by the way, did you play Texas Hold'em? Yeah, Texas Hold'em has been the main game for me. Got it, you know, so, you know, I can imagine like 20% is still like, you know, substantial, like most of the financial advisors were saying like, you know, don't put like, you know, like more than 10%, God forbid, you know, like, or it's very risky, lower, even less. So 20%, I would say it's a stake of a believer, you know, like not just a person who's investing for speculation, but also who actually believes in the core values and ideas of the industry, right? 
Sure. Yeah, I'd say the, you know, what percentage of your assets or liquid assets you should allocate to something is is a lot more of a question of, you know, like goals and risk profile. It's a very individual thing. It's not, it's more based on your personal life goals and emotions, not so much based on, you know, what's the best way to have, you know, maximize your risk adjusted expected value or returns. Uh, so my thinking then and, and similar now is, you know, I'm, I'm young, I have the ability to, you know, pivot and make money and start businesses and doing other things. So if I could find things that have a really high expected value, even if there's a lot of variance or kind of risk in the short term, it makes sense for me to kind of go in on that. And I'd say at the time I was, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily use the term believer. I just thought it was a really, really good bet relative to any other kind of financial opportunity that I saw. And now I, you know, I think it's an even better bet and which is why I now have, you know, basically 100% of, you know, my liquid net worth in, uh, you know, in my funds uh, invested in the BSV ecosystem. It's impressive. But, so, yeah. so it's a calculated risk, you would call it, right? So you actually made a decision, you analyze, you know, like, why are you investing, right? And uh, so again, 2018, right? So how old were you? So uh, in 2018, um, when the fund started, or I guess when I when I started, yeah, when the fund started, uh, I was 25. Nice. So I assume you're yeah. 27 right now, right? <laughs> I am 27. Yeah, sorry. So math, that's impressive. Math is hard sometimes. It's Thanks. impressive. No, you're a hedge fund manager at uh, 27 years old and, uh, you know, managing a successful fund. We're going to talk about your returns, about your strategy. So uh, I think, you know, what's impressive about crypto that most of the folks I, I talk to, right, in our, you know, like as Bitbull Capital, you know, one of the, we're the first crypto uh, fund of funds, you know, we did diligence, like, you know, more than 400 different crypto hedge funds. And I can tell that, you know, a lot of the folks are actually your age, you know, our age, basically, I'm, you know, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm similar to this age, right, I'm 31 right now. So like, I, I would say, like, it's pretty young for hedge fund managers, you know, and so for any emerging markets, you know, like, and uh, young, entrepreneurs like i i would say typically people from the investment banking are, are starting a little bit later when they already have some experience you know like some substantial like network and they're going out there and just you know they're fundraising because it's it's not easy you know i don't have to tell you right so to raise for a fund you know like you yeah. need to build a lot of trust with your anchor investors right so so my question to you like what made you start, you know, like and specifically build this structure of a hybrid model model between venture and hedge fund to like how the fund started. Uh, so after I became, you know, really interested in crypto and blockchain, um, I had the opportunity to do uh, some consulting for uh, a green energy financing company uh, in the Bay Area. And while I was here, um, I, you know, got to network with a lot of people that were very big in the crypto and blockchain industry. And, you know, from what went from, you know, like a big investment and a big interest long term, after meeting some of the people turned into, oh my God, I, I want to be working in this. What's the best way to do so? And, you know, I've, I've, until then, I've always fashioned myself more as an entrepreneur than as an investor. So as an entrepreneur, you're, you know, you're investing you're always investing, but you're investing your time versus capital. Um, and then the, I, I was living, I was living with my cousin, uh, who's uh, 
you know, company I was doing some work for and ended up doing some co-investing with him and then managing some of his capital in investing in this space. Uh, and he was the kind of the person to really, you know, believe in me, bet on me and was, you know, saw kind of the different things I've done over the years, whether it's like, you know, playing a lot of poker or various like miles and points arbitrages. And at the time I was there every, every Thanksgiving for a few years, I do uh, like some of this Black Friday arbitrage where I, you know, use a different, all my different credit cards and order uh, like, you know, Xbox is 50% off, but you can only get one of them. So, you know, I'd figure out a way to get 50 of them. I'd ship it to some, you know, warehouse in Crown Heights, and then I'd get, you know, the points that I get plus the multiplier for using the portal on the points and then like some commission on that. Um, so he saw me doing that thing over Thanksgiving when I'm saying with him, he's like, I think, I think this mind is going to be better for investing long-term than potentially running things. And that you were an entrepreneur before, in before way. you started, right? So it, that, that was your core, right? Yeah. But I, I, I think now it's clear that for how I like to spend my time and where I think my skill set lies, investing, um, is, you know, is a better fit for me long-term. Uh, I'm very much an entrepreneur with the fund, as you know, when you're getting a fund started, it's, you know, uh, as much, if not more so time spent building your business, as opposed to always focusing on making investment decisions. But, you know, I, I personally feel a lot happier, uh, and content when I'm, you know, reading, researching, having conversations like this, making investment decisions, as opposed to the, you know, kind of the more hustling operational aspects of, of business. So. You know, I like both. I'm never going to stop doing both, but I think a lot more of my time on kind of making, you know, big long-term decisions and trying to find ways, you know, an orthodox opinion or, you know, herd mentality is, 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 is lacking, lacking something in the pursuit of truth. So I, that I started investing with, uh, with Dan. And then after, you know, that went very well, um, you know, we, we thought that there would be an opportunity to, you know, make outsized returns investing into this, investing into this industry. And then that decision was made um, around late January um, of 2018 to, to kind of get this started and due to a variety of things, including kind of the market bottoming out, it, it ended up taking a bit longer to finally get things started. Uh, but, you know, in August of 2018, uh, we launched our fund. Uh, and then in April of uh, 2019, we switched to you know, focusing in the BSV ecosystem, uh, and shortly after, kind of rebranded as Unbounded Capital, uh, and you know, now it, I feel like you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, we've kind of found that product market fit. Uh, you know, we're the one of the only funds investing in this ecosystem. We think the potential for returns here are greater than almost any other submarket or asset class in the world, and just feel lucky to kind of have discovered this. Uh, you know, at the time that we have. So that's impressive because I remember 2018. It was—it definitely was not the best time to start. You know, like it's uh, mo uh, according to Eureka Hedge, you remember that most of the funds were competing, either minus 60 or minus 80, right? And so <laughs> that was definitely very tough times. And I know some of the funds actually bankrupted because they started in the early 2018 with the premises that okay, crypto is going to grow to the moon, everything is great. You know, there is so so much you know enthusiasm, and then reality came right and it was like you know it was a bearish market and nobody even understood where where and how it's going to stop right so 
you basically survive like a very important um, milestone, right? You know, so that's like a, you were baptized in the battle, I would say. Right? So my question to you, uh, what made you, uh, you know, so resilient to those obstacles? And how did you understand how to basically, I would say, be flexible enough and change, you know, this strategy and then go to the BSV community? And what, like, tell us about, about like, about the, this struggle, like. We first started investing into the space. Uh, I'd say a significant amount of our time was spent, you know, reading like shitty white papers and, you know, wading through all these things that were like very, you know, use a lot of intellectual language, use a lot of kind of things that made it seem smart, but lacking a lot of substance and especially lacking a lot of like operational skill and know-how from the entrepreneurs that, you know, said they were going to do these things. So it was a lot of time waiting through a bunch of BS. And, you know, I think, you know, we found some good companies to, to invest in even before kind of making our thesis switch to BSV, but it was a lot of time and a lot of noise compared to finding good signals. Um, and then, you know, I, I'm really lucky to be working uh, with, you know, um, two of my just like best friends. And what we all share in common is that we really enjoy, you know, finding opportunities to be right when everyone else kind of isn't sharing that thing. Uh, it's something that got me into a lot of, you know, trouble and perhaps like, you know, stunted certain aspects of my emotional and social growth for many years, but I think lend itself well towards, you know, managing capital, especially in a market like this. And we first, we kind of were of the, you know, Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin core BTC is, you know, the best Bitcoin and it's, you know, it's going to take over and it's a great investment. And, you know, we'll, we're going to invest in some other companies too, but, you know, we're, we're really bullish on this version of Bitcoin and just completely wrote off Bitcoin cash and later BSV um, without really seriously doing diligence, uh, just because all the people that, you know, we thought to respect and the things that we're reading are just, you know, writing these technologies and chains off and, and writing the people off. And even though we fashioned ourselves as contrarians, we didn't really do the, the diligence or read things firsthand. And then we ended up reading some of Roger Ver's stuff firsthand, learning a little bit about the different Bitcoin communities on Reddit. And we're like, oh, you know, even if we're not kind of bullish on big blocks or Bitcoin cash, this is a little fucked up. And a kind of our alarm bells are going, I was like, oh, if this person's being a little kind of shadow banned or censored or misquoted, like maybe there's some truth here. And, you know, after diving in, we started to not have very high conviction, but, you know, high enough conviction to start allocating to Bitcoin cash and kind of the bigger block scaling approach for proof of work networks, but still kind of, you know, laughing, writing off Craig Wright and BSV. And then by chance, uh, the one of my investors and advisors is a co-founder of the Node co-working space, uh, Seth Goldstein, a crypto co-working space in North Beach in San Francisco. Amazing community, highly recommend it. Everyone should should join. Uh, and yeah, and uh, they, they were doing the kind of San Francisco Bitcoin cash meetup, which then based on the people attending when the cash and SV fork happened, it turned into the BSV meetup. Um, and one of my one of my partners, Dave, he was like, you know, let's 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 steel man this. Like, if we if we're becoming more bullish on cash, like, let's see what these BSV you know jokesters are up to. Like, why not just attend a meeting? What's the worst that can happen? And I, I happened to be out of town or had some. I couldn't make it to that first one. And then Dave called me right when right when he left and was like, Zach, like, oh my god, this is the first crypto like meetup I've ever been to where no one talked about price, no one's talking about mooning. 
uh, it's just, you know, I felt like the dumbest guy in the room. It was just like a small group of like highly, you know, technical people that wanted to build things. Uh, and I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty bullish, but like, come on, what's, what's going on here? And then I remembered feeling like the same way I did when I first read the Bitcoin white paper and like started learning about all these things in 2016. I had that feeling of like, oh wow, there's so much to learn. There's so much that people think that isn't so. And within a couple of weeks, we were like, okay, like we should probably start allocating to this soon. But you know, we're having kind of internal deliberations about how to do so. And then we had this delisting happening in, in April, mid-April of 2019 uh, from Kraken and Binance uh, due to you know CZ not liking Craig Wright. Um, and after that happened, uh, we were like, okay, you know, we could keep waiting to find an entry point, but if it just goes down, you know, 30, like 25, 30% based on a delisting when nothing fundamental changed, like this is probably a good as entry point as ever. And that's, you know, when we started buying into the market and, you know, we got lucky that was, you know, the absolute low, at least for now of BSV. And, you know, within about a month, we were like incredibly bullish and then just deliberating, does it make sense to go all in on this? And I, you know, frankly, I was kind of the one pushing back and going all in from the beginning as, you know, I think of myself as an, you know, investor that wants to be diversified and, you know, doesn't want to kind of quote, go all in on this one, this one kind of speculative thing. But the more that I learned, the more that I had the conviction that uh, it just seems really unlikely that any other, at least existing chain is going to kind of work out. Uh, so we're still, you know, theoretically open to other proof of work networks that are scaling, but it's this rare opportunity where pretty much everyone in the community is discounting this asset and this community where I have high conviction that this is, you know, very likely to succeed. So it's it's not very often you see asymmetric bets like that in your life. So I figured both from the standpoint of building out a firm as well as being a fiduciary, I couldn't I couldn't really in good faith hold Bitcoin core or invest in companies that are building on blockchains that can't scale. So that we decided to, you know, pivot to a BSV ecosystem fund, and now, uh, you know, here we are. So let's stop here for a second, right? So before <laughs> we go a deeper dive into your strategy, because I'm I'm interested, like, how do you allocate, like, you know, uh, into BSV, and maybe some you diversify, and some just, you know, just a little bit of Bitcoin, and then how do how do you even do diligence of the projects? But before that, like, look. I, I I just have to ask you this question, right? Because regarding the the personality of Craig Wright, you know, because sure. there's I mean there's so many uh, different rumors, controversy, like you know, I mean he had a, a lawsuit against him, right? And um, there's there's uh, the biggest one, and you know I just want to know your opinion on this, like you know of course you know it's the he's claimed that he's Satoshi Nakamoto, right? So there, there's a very clear path and clear way how he could have proven that, right? And he yeah. decided not to go this route. And as you can imagine, like according to Murphy Law, right? If you can do something and you're not doing this, so there's like a big chance that, you know, that's actually like, you know, that's not what's happening. And, you know, he he's not a Satoshi Nakamoto. At, at the same time, there's a lot of like, uh, I would say prominent people who claim that they've seen the confirmation with their own eyes, right? And they are saying that we definitely think that he is the Satoshi Nakamoto. Well, and the community yeah. basically split, you know, like into two factions, I would say. And the biggest part in this, right? It was out to me, at least, like you know, the biggest 
like I would say destructive, like in an unnecessary conflict was when it, during uh, the Sunami, right, you know, when Vitalik Buterin, like, you know, like stood up and like, you know, after a lot of unpleasant comments towards Ethereum, right, he, he stood up and basically said like, you know what, why this fraud is even like allowed to speak here? And, ex and afterwards he gave him a very interesting interview, not being aggressive, but like actually rationally explaining why he thinks he's not a Satoshi and secondly explaining yeah. why BSV actually does not have the same like I would say scalability as he's presenting so my question to you first about his personality right do you actually think like a brief one do you think that he's Satoshi Nakamoto <laughs> so as an investor I mean in my life whether it's a question about managing money or not I'm, I'm a probabilistic thinker so there's very few things I'll say you know I'm 100% on but I would say, yes, I'm, I'm high conviction that, you know, Craig created Bitcoin, uh, but don't trust my word on it. Uh, we put together a piece uh, entitled, you know, why we think Craig is Satoshi and why that matters. And, you know, you could maybe link to that in the show notes. Sure, um, I'll do that. So but in, in I, briefly, if you can describe like, you know, major like uh, key takeaways like of this, like, you know, this uh, report. So. First off, before diving into this report, like if for whatever reason it was confirmed that Craig has been, you know, lying, put his, putting his family and his businesses at risk to pretend to be the creator of Bitcoin and, you know, go to jail for, you know, lying in, you know, court in Florida and probably Australia and England too, uh, you know, we would buy BSV on the way down because it's the, you know, best version of Bitcoin that's thousands of times faster and cheaper than the others. So first, I, I just want to frame this that Craig you know, Craig Wright as an individual, I, I view him as, you know, an asset to BSV, but it's it's not synonymous with BSV. Uh, you know, he's a he's a you know, he's he's a leading figure in the community, but you know, uh, if God forbid he were hit by a bus or, bus or something, it would it would be a blow, but you know, Bitcoin would continue to scale and, you know, we'd move on. But, you know, back to your question around uh, you know, the, the takeaways from the report, uh, there's been a lot of pieces circulating that, you know, Craig, you know, not only kind of lies about being Satoshi, but that he lies about degrees that he has. And I think if you actually look into the merits of those claims, they just don't really exist. So we went through some of those in the in the piece that we're going to link to. But a lot of the concern is around saying uh, either he's lied about various degrees he's had or that he doesn't have like the technical kind of wherewithal to have actually created Bitcoin and lied about various things that are, you know, technical. And a lot of these are just taking small quotes out of context. Um, but fundamentally, it from our view, it's not so much that there's the, the I'd say the leading narrative in the crypto community is that there's all this evidence he didn't create Bitcoin. Like, do you do you have the smoking gun that he did? Where from our kind of assessment of the evidence out there, especially the legal diligence on the court case over the Tulip Trust uh, with Ira Kleinman in Florida, there seems to be an overwhelming amount of evidence that he has. And there's also a lot of heuristics that, you know, he probably has as in, you know, why kind of risk your businesses, your net worth, your family's livelihood on on this thing going, you know, what, also he didn't come out and say he was Satoshi, he was outed as Satoshi by, you know, Wired Magazine and others. So. Um, that's kind of high level our, our view of things and regarding the point that everyone seems, you know, preoccupied with, which is, you know, he could just prove he's Satoshi and sign the keys. 
I think it's yeah, important P- to think PGP about. PGP key ideas. Like, of course. Why would not present it? Like, it's a very simple way to, and that will remove entire conversations uh, of about course it, of course yes it or no. So, so here's the question for you, Constantine. Do you think that Craig solely has an incentive to prove he's Bitcoin with cryptographic evidence? Do you think there's only upside in that? Uh, definitely not. However, the question is like, and I, 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 when I follow this story, I understand that like I don't believe that he was ousted. Uh, like I think he did it as a, as a PR movement, right? And uh, I think what, those. What? What? Why? What? Why is a question that I don't know. I think only he knows. I have no. I mean, I, I mean, how? Like I've we've we've looked, like so he was outed by Wired magazine and didn't set. Like, are you saying you've seen evidence that he was in contact with them? Yes, I I, I, I am in contact with like several PR people who actually told me that this this uh, this was a paid article. Right. And and that was proven later. Uh, But regardless, whether we know whether it was paid or not, it, it doesn't mean like, look, if you're obviously making such a big claim and then he later on confirmed that yes he is a satoshi right and he explained why and how he he gave a lot of like interviews which you know like i I think is uh was interesting and like there's a lot of to me a lot of missing gaps and we're not because it can take like entire interview on that right but i would say like i tend to believe there is not enough evidence is number one the reason why the person would do that pretty simple behavior psychology it's fame because if you are looking to do a fork like bsv right (laughs) so it's great to claim that listen i'm i am the creator of the initial like you know like bitcoin and i have access to genesis block and i actually have like all those patents outside and i have like three four phds you know it gives you a lot of credibility and i would say i mean it definitely you that probably no one would deny that it gave him gave him a huge pr boost right you know like everybody was talking about him all of a sudden right so that's one of the reasons and i i and look i don't have enough evidence to say whether that's yeah. the truth but also as you as being like a, a critical thinker like because i cannot disapprove or prove otherwise right so it's hard for me to tell right and like there is no other there are several other people who claim that they're satoshi which i also don't believe them right so uh, we might not even know yet who is uh, the, the the correct personality. Well, well, I think taking you know a view that you know, unlike most of the crypto community, that it's not black and white and it's not a hundred percent that this guy is a fraud. I think makes sense. And I would say you know, from getting back to the investing side of things, um, if the main hangup you know you or whoever's listening to this has with BSV is the fact that Craig didn't create Bitcoin first, you know, maybe spend an hour or two look into what he has said around this, as to me, there seems to be a lot of incentives for him not to sign keys publicly. He's said for many years, what he hates about what the blockchain community became uh, is this notion of code being law, uh, where he wants to promote law being law. And by signing cryptographic evidence, you know, part of the reason I think he hasn't signed is because he wants to prove that he's in court in court that he is Satoshi in multiple jurisdictions of which, you know, cryptographic evidence might be a part of that. So you and I might not understand that if you or I were in Craig's shoes, we might do something differently. But I think, you know, not understanding his motives or incentives or not agreeing with them, that to me isn't the smoking gun for why he didn't create Bitcoin. I, I look at the evidence, you know, that is that is out there, not the lack of something using kind of a uh, you know, an Occam's razor of the simple thing is to just sign. Uh, but I would say, 
you know, even if you're nowhere near where I am, let's say high conviction that he created Bitcoin, if the if the hang up is that, you know, with BSV is that this Craig guy, you know, didn't create it, well, we're looking right now at like a one to 30 something ratio between the price of Bitcoin Core and Bitcoin SV, where one is thousands of times faster and cheaper than the other. So if you only give it, say, 15% odds, 10% odds that you created Bitcoin, uh, you still have a really good bet betting on, you know, I think the network that's fundamentally better, uh, even if you think most likely he didn't create Bitcoin. So, you know, part of part of the view that we express in the article is that, like, I understand without doing a significant amount of diligence, you know, coming from existing crypto community member to thinking Craig is Satoshi is going to be tough. But it's hard, it's really hard for me to look at the available evidence out there and come away with the view that he 100% or close to 100% did it. That to me seems reckless from a diligence point of view. But frankly, you know, uh, it's great for us. We got to buy in at a kind of artificially low price. So, you know, I'm not, not complaining too much. Yeah, I don't have a lot of opinions on this. Like, you know, I, I, I would say that, you know, like as long as it's working out for you, look, it's uh, it's great. I'm happy for you. So that's why, like, I my only my only concern was that, you know, like in multiple conferences and multiple interviews, he just said that he doesn't care about the corporate community at all. Right. And so he's kind of yes. like taking this very, I would say, uh, uh, very like lonely position where he is kind of like you know this lonely wolf and he's trying to build something like great and he's like this genius like to me it's a little bit like uh, less about the unity and less about like you know okay let's try to collaborate let's try to find some synergies and try to see like okay I, you don't agree with me that's fine but I can see still value in some other products right and after uh, after him calling Ethereum which is uh, uh, also a complete nonsense right you know so that was to me a little bit rough you know because and, and i think it was unfair that's why i i don't uh i you know i don't look at it like you know personally like you know like him or i don't, I don't. we're in investment world sometimes we have to yeah. do unpopular decisions whether we like someone or not uh and uh, vitalik buterin also called him like you know different words so i think we'll live it out there like between the Binance guys between the Ethereum community and uh, BSV, it exists. So let's talk, let's focus on something that is real, meaning the fork is real. Like there's a growing community, there's a price, you know, and coin market cap. By the way, what what it is, what is the price now? Uh, um, something around 160 and- Coin SV, like, you know, right now it has what, about three, uh, three billion market cap, right? You know, mm -hmm. and uh, the price is 130. $63 uh, as of uh, 1st of April 2020 and mm -hmm. pretty sizable volume like you know about 1.5 billion per day right you know so uh, tell us about a little bit more like you know why how do you find this number six right now in the coin market cap which is you know pretty good numbers to be in top 10 it's already I would say privilege right so uh, how do you foresee the development of the community? And uh, then I'm, I think it will be interesting to talk a little bit about the underlying projects. Yeah, so um, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of differences between what folks that, you know, hold old BTC or folks that are building on Ethereum see the value long-term in blockchain compared to the, you know, Kind of original outline in the white paper and the BSV community. So to the to the BSV community, uh, scaling 
on-chain is what's most important. So having a blockchain that can scale and that has the properties of immutability is of the utmost importance. So I, like, let's just take a step back into like, you know, I think everyone agrees that you need to have some type of scale to have anything work long-term. People disagree in what, how that scales. Some people, you know, look to change proof of work to proof of stake to Istanbul. People look at Lightning Network where, you know, the Bitcoin Cash kind of originally and now really just BSV in terms of a proof of work network. Uh, you know, is looking to kind of scale on chain. So this gets to the heart of proof of work versus proof of stake. So to us, the essential qualities um, of blockchain is that what is on chain is immutable. So you know that the balance or the data stored or the smart contracts or applications built uh, can't be changed. And to ensure that immutability, you you really have to be in a proof of work context because that's a key part of what makes it impossible to change like any type of data on chain. So when you look at proof of stake or any type of other consensus mechanism, you're leaning on social consensus. And this introduces the problems of existing political systems. Uh, you know, we all know very well, uh, and there's no technical or economic barrier to changing, uh, what's on chain, like proof of work, it's just social. And another major problem is that of incentives. So proof of stake incentivizes the stagnation of the, the ecosystem, where proof of work encourages kind of capitalism, where there's always an economic incentive for making things faster and cheaper for users versus trying to accommodate, you know, kind of individual miners, say, within the Bitcoin core community, uh, such that it could always be censorship resistant uh, but not necessarily be faster and cheaper. They look to scale not on chain without the same properties that you know they kind of profess to like about blockchain, like immutability. So, if I may, th that's an opinion because you know there is a lot of also controversy there with <laughs> what you're saying. I would uh, I would uh, rebuttal few points, right? You know, first of sure. all, like in terms of immutability, right? You know, so to me, there is an interesting joke. You know, the community that. Uh, if you put like some like a garbage on the blockchain, right, it will become an immutable garbage. So uh, there's always this uh, problem of almost like a chicken and egg, right? You know, like what happens? How? Where do we verify the source information, right? You know, like where the data comes into the whatever smart contract or like any chain, any any blockchain, right? So. Uh, and then, okay, it becomes immutable. It becomes like, you know, sensor proof, but like, you know, that's, that's like, I would say another challenge, right? You know, what we, we cannot change it. Imagine this is a very important data of somebody's like personal information, right? So whether mm -hmm. it's a bank account or your personal ID, and then you cannot even change it. So see, those are also, uh, I would say, challenges that we have to attack this is number one argument number two i well, I, 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 I don't understand i don't understand the argument so it's, in turn yeah like like i what, what 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 i'm what i'm hearing is that sometimes immutability isn't important and i would agree with that i would just say for those cases blockchain isn't the solution databases that we already know are you know already work pretty well no, exactly. So the question yeah. is like, you know, and, you know, there's always like, you know, this question whether 
the, the immutability is even like, you know, necessary at this stage of development, right? You know, whether it's like, I would say, the most important feature for now, right? The second argument, like, you know, when you said that like a proof of work is only about the capitalism, proof of stake is not, it's also debatable to me at least, right? You know, the more I've read about like Ethereum community and a lot of their development, I wouldn't say that they're not pro-capitalist, right? I think their consensus mechanism might have some flaws, you know, like, uh, but in terms of scalability, if you compare it to the, you know, Bitcoin core, right? You know, like I, I wouldn't say it's like, not that scalable, right? You know, there's obviously certain flaws where, where as you know, like in the Bitcoin core uh, consensus, there's a lot of flaws as well, right? So uh, I, I would say they're equally like not perfect, right? And they're trying to I, find out solutions. Yeah, I, I don't. So a lot of this comes down to, again, what's the value of blockchain? So I think if you, if you throw out immutability, then I, I would just throw out all blockchains, frankly. You know, like why why build on a blockchain if you don't care about the data not being able to be manipulated? That's what blockchains are for. It's centralizing information in a single place in a secure manner uh, that is able to be secured by you know a distributed system of of miners. So if you don't need immutability, I'd say you don't need blockchain personally. So I think a, a kind of a thing to come to understanding on to start at least is like. There's some things that those in the Bitcoin core, Ethereum and BSV community all agree on, which is that sometimes immutability is important. So there's definitely differences in terms of when and how, but I, I think you can't throw out immutability never being important because to me, that's if you don't have that, there's really no value to blockchain. 100%. I didn't say you have to throw it out. I'm just saying there are a lot of challenges with this as well, right? You know, I, uh, and, I, and I would say we're decentralizing, right? You know, the, decentralize a distributed ledger where we are trying to make sure that you know there is no uh you know central point of failure as we had with agrifax mm -hmm. right you know one of the biggest like holder of your personal data was hacked right you know so any bank can have the same issue right you know so now they're slowly but surely also trying to get a lot of uh, enterprise solutions but also if you look at them all of those, uh, all of those, like enterprise solutions, they're actually like centralized blockchains. They're not decentralized, and they they cannot even allow to have decentralized solutions, right? For now. Yeah. So they're just really shitty databases. They don't need to be blockchains. You know. In a way, yeah. yes. That's my yeah. my point exactly, right? So we are trying to play these like you know marketing like uh, words of blockchain, you know, decentralization and like adding value, uh, but. In reality, they're not like uh, advocating the the initial ideas, the initial core values that you know, like was described in the Satoshi white paper. Uh, so that's my my following question to you: If you would describe your philosophy of your fund and your personal investment thesis, right? You know, what would be the the three or five, whatever the number may be, like you know, core values for you? You know, like when you do diligence the project. Well, a, a lot of this is is coming from the the important thesis, which is that you know we think there is likely to be one blockchain that stores the vast majority of the world's data long term, of which applications you know are are built on top of and, and relied upon, and kind of transform the existing industries of data storage and cloud computation, uh, and that the network that is fastest and cheapest will probably win out. So. That's that's the big part of our thesis. And to us, you know, in terms of those that are working to do that, 
for the reasons described around immutability, we throw out all you know, non-immutable proof-of-work networks. And then within the proof-of-work networks, you know, when we do our analysis, we see one chain that's literally thousands of times faster and cheaper than the main version of Bitcoin. So we're, we'd be open to kind of diversifying, but I think with the both the economics and incentives of proof-of-work mining, combined with the ideological approach of the BSV community versus the Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Core, Ethereum communities, it's really unlikely for there to be another chain to win out. So the, the analogy I like to make is like, we're in the mid 90s, we see that this kind of decentralized internet internet ar architecture is likely gonna win out uh, for fundamental reasons relative to private intranets. So we're only investing in companies that are gonna benefit from this long-term infrastructure. So that I think is the most important part of our thesis, which is that you know, investing in a company that isn't building on BSV and is entrenching themselves to, you know, using the Lightning Network, using Bitcoin Core, using Ethereum, using EOS, um, is going to have either like a minor or major problem when they eventually have to switch to a scaled proof of work blockchain. So just to make it, you know, easy, we only focus on on those within the BSV community, and that's kind of had the benefit of moving from you know, reading a bunch of shitty white papers, pie in the sky ideas from largely from folks that don't have a lot of operational experience is the vast majority of entrepreneurs in the BSV community are highly technical developers with, uh, you know, a lot of operational and creating product experience uh, that have a bias towards revenue generating companies. So even if we pass on someone, I'd say the majority of meetings and ideas we see now are ones that we think are, you know, good and plausible, but maybe don't necessarily fit our kind of long-term thesis. Uh, so we're focusing on infrastructure, core infrastructure plays and enterprise adoption, as we think there's much more likely to be enterprise adoption of Bitcoin and data storage and cloud computing before there's consumer adoption. So we're investing in infrastructure that uh, may benefit mainly from consumer adoption over a 10, 20, 30 year time horizon. But we're also trying to focus on, you know, products and companies that benefit from the near term adoption of, you know, enterprises trying to, let's say, comply with GDPR regulations and, you know, st store, store data in an immutable fashion. Interesting. So your prediction that someone like ES, like Immunity, will actually uh later on we'll have to switch to BSV? Well, I think most of the projects in crypto in general are just going to die because they're not good companies or projects that are solving real problems. But I think of the companies that are solving real problems that, you know, are using technology that, you know, isn't that great and doesn't scale or doesn't provide immutability, they're going to have to switch to better technology. So right now, I, you know, I'm very high conviction that that technology they'll have to switch to if they actually need immutability, which is a small minority of projects in the crypto space. But for projects that actually need the benefits of blockchain, you know, I think the blockchain that's going to win out is what they're going to switch to. And right now, there's no serious competition to BSV. So there might be in the future, but it seems unlikely. So you don't consider Bitcoin Cash as a competitor, no? No, because... You know, I, I think it could be a competitor the same way Bitcoin Core could be a competitor, but there is a ideological approach to prioritizing, you know, being antagonistic to governments around the world and being resistant to laws and regulations as opposed to trying to scale. So I don't really see that changing anytime soon. So if that does, I could see either of those versions of Bitcoin meaningfully competing with BSV. 
but already in the short period BSV has been around, it has gone to thousands of times faster and cheaper. Uh, and, you know, don't trust me on this. There's a great website called coin.dance that compares all the very various stats around the different Bitcoin networks. Uh, but that delta is increasing really fast. Like, you know, when we looked at this for our, you know, our investor deck a few days ago, we're seeing that even at like a relative low over the last couple of months, there's twice the amount of transactions on BSV as there are on, you know, Bitcoin Core now. And that's, you know, continuing to grow. So I think by the time the ideological approach of the different Bitcoins, you know, perhaps comes around to this, you're going to look at, you know, 50,000 times as many transactions. And then there won't really be a point to trying to compete. It'll just be, let's, you know, focus on the Bitcoin that actually works. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, opinion. I would say partially I would agree with you. Like, and I think, you know, the winner definitely like the fastest and the most scalable solution. And uh, I would say also adoption would mean a lot, you know, in terms of like how many projects would actually be on this like network, because we see a lot of great like, you know, networks that also like tech, technically they can cope with like almost like you know not thousands hundred thousands of transactions but they're not popular due to other political issues i would say right and the combination those aren't the, those aren't blockchains those aren't proof of work secured blockchains those are with no, other no, social no. consensus mechanisms yeah exactly either a consensus mechanism but i'm saying they exist right you know so there there were a lot of uh, I, I would say bootstrapping and a lot of experiments right so they work and you know, different uh, practical terms, whether it's enterprise solution or some like, you know, closed network, even government like, you know, projects. So I, I believe, yeah, we have a, we're gonna have a vast adoption, like, you know, I'm gonna be a huge differentiator between the decentralized communities and people who are like, I would say, uh, quasi hybrid models, whether like it's, in essence, it will be centralized solutions to so cold blockchains, right? But it'll be not actually the, <laughs> they will not uh, go after the values, you know, of the decentralized community, right? So, which brings me to another question to you in terms mm -hmm. of the practicality, like, you know, can you bring up some, maybe briefly, some practical examples of projects that you, I would say, you you personally invested and you like them? Like, you know, they give some practical value uh, yeah. uh, based on, on the BSV, right? Well, yeah, before diving into the projects, I'd like to just, I think, address like where, where immutability and where a scale blockchain comes into play now. So, you know, we're still actively thinking about this question and any thoughts, feedback from yourself or others listening is much appreciated as the question of who who benefits most from a scaled Bitcoin today, not even, you know, looking at Bitcoin with many terabyte blocks in the future, but, you know, who benefits from the many, you know, multi-megabyte blocks on BSV today. So I kind of bucket that into a few different categories. There's those that are looking to store data in an immutable fashion. So that could be companies that you know, large, medium enterprises that right now are paying multiple third-party providers, both cloud, physical, have internal things so that they don't lose any data and they have to have so many redundancies um, because, you know, they this data is so important that they can't lose it. So adding, you know, a service that stores data on chain or stores a hash of the data on chain uh, could be really valuable as part of that stack. Um, then there's those that have data as a liability. So if you are going to get fined uh, or potentially go out of business for you know exposing customer data and getting hacked, which is true of almost every major enterprise uh, that exists in the world, being able to put your data on something where you you know 
at least in my view, already have a greater greater security than any kind of private non-blockchain solution, that's a valuable thing. And then payments. So with BSV now, you can send you know, virtually any amount of money for fractions of a cent instantly in a secure, immutable manner. There's no other technology that comes close to competing with that right now. So those are kind of the basis of like the types of companies we, we, we look for. So can, can we yeah. make a practical example? If I were to send to you right now, a hundred dollars, yeah. right? And I would to use, let's say Bitcoin Core, then I don't know, maybe if you can compare it with Ethereum and I would do BSV, like how, what is the commission yeah. that I would pay to you? That's a great question. So, you know, uh, as part of this investor deck, we're kind of updating right now into the month. Yeah. Uh, as of well, two I, days I'll ago, pay the commission to the network. Sorry, like not to you. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So, so uh, as of a couple days ago, it was 2,300 times as expensive uh, to use Bitcoin Core as Bitcoin SV um, and about 6,000 times as slow. So those are kind of the two metrics that really matter in, in my view. It's, you know, speed and cost. Uh, I can't speak to Ethereum offhand. I could find that information easily, but I think it's probably somewhere, you know, around where Bitcoin Core is. But like, we're not talking about twice as fast. We're not talking about five times as fast. We're not even talking about 100 times as fast. We're talking about like oscillating between 2,000 times as fast and like 20,000 times as fast today. How do you measure the yeah. speed, like, you know, the transaction, like, you know, what was the, the metrics that you would say, like, you know, you can even measure those, like, and you've mentioned there are several public uh, uh, websites that, that allow you to compare it, right? I never made a transaction that is an instant. <laughs> well, that, that, that's, that's, that's the power of, you know, literally being thousands of times as fast, you know? So even on like the most congested, you know, we're talking about, you know, a second, two seconds, three seconds, like never enough to like really meaningfully notice like that this didn't just happen. So basically we're not talking about minutes, it's seconds. Yeah, and, and that and that has continued to become faster because that's what happens when you prioritize scaling over, you know, resisting laws and regulations. Uh, you kind of achieve scale. So with Bitcoin Core and the one megabyte block size, you're never going to be able to scale on chain. That's the choice that the community is making. Where with BSV, you know, the community is constantly pushing the limits of the size of the blocks. We've seen 1.4 gigabyte blocks on the testnet. We've seen 280 or 256 megabyte blocks on the actual Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, and as demand for these, you know, block sizes increase, as enterprise adoption and data storage and cloud computation demand increases, uh, there's going to be more incentive for miners to innovate and to be able to accommodate these blocks. So you don't see Lightning Network as a solution to to increase the scalability? No, Lightning Network is, is not a solution. It, it can't really work by design. Um, so I, I, here's a question for you about Lightning. Do you know approximately what percentage of capital you need to lock up to be able to send a given amount of capital? So let's say you want to send a dollar and you want to be sure that that dollar is not going to, you know, go poof. Approximately how much money do you need to lock up to do Percentage that? Percentage-wise, I don't actually remember. Uh, if you can help me on this, no. So it's, it, it's it, it, from what I've last looked, it's on average about 40% uh, greater. So, you know, for this to work in kind of a decentralized way, you have to lock up 140%. But that ranges from like 110 or 105 to like, 500% sometimes, it's really variable because the 
it's constantly changing in Lightning Network, so it, it it's on an individual basis. But you know, for Lightning Network to work in kind of the decentralized way as designed, you have to get you know small business owners, medium-sized business owners to allocate significant amounts of their balance sheet towards using the solution, which, you know, I think from just like a basic business analysis looking, anyone that's ever run a business knows that's never going to happen. So how Lightning Network is used practically now is you're just trusting these third-party services to lock up more capital and you're just sending the money that you need. And then you just get like a really, you know, shitty Venmo, Zelle infrastructure uh, that's also in direct contravention of, you know, the laws of any first world, you know, developed country that any state channel on Lightning Network is a money transmitter. So by using this or operating operating a node, you're, you know, in violation of, you know, the, these money transmitter laws and liable for any kind of dirty dollar that goes through your network. So, uh, you know, Zelle is also, by the way, is on blockchain. You know that, right? Well, it's 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 on a yeah, it's on a it's on a database that they're calling a blockchain. Yeah, the the I don't think I don't think Zelle is a great solution either. But you know, the that yeah, I don't think I don't think Zelle is the ideal to shoot for. I'm just saying that's kind of what we're comparing to. We're not comparing to something innovative. So it, it you know can't work from a standpoint of economic incentives, uh, and it's you know in direct violation of you know the laws of the countries that probably most people listening to this are living in. So. Um, I do see a future in which you have things like Bitcoin Core, Bitcoin Cash, Monero existing to kind of serve a small niche of people that, you know, want to transact outside, you know, laws and regulations. And I don't say that as like a moral judgment, you know, I, I think, you know, having those things like can serve some value. I just as an investor, you know, I want to bet on the thing that isn't kind of openly fighting what governments around the world are, are saying in existing laws. So. I think Lightning is an even worse bet, where it just it, there's no chance of it working and scaling. Okay, I, I see your point here. Like, and it's a separate discussion. I have a lot to say at this, but like, you know, I, yeah. I I would prefer to focus on the practical projects, like you know, like yeah. you know, that you've came across and that you personally invested and you see value in those projects and why are they important? What problems are they solving? So, because we're really early to the BSV community and ecosystem and we're investing in long-term infrastructure, I think a lot of the things we're gonna be investing into isn't gonna necessarily feel like it solves that like clear problem right now. It's gonna enable many companies to use these companies, use the companies we invest in to solve those problems. So just a quick recap, that's why I kind of mentioned the payments and data storage as these use cases. So we're, we haven't invested in any companies directly that are solving that for enterprises right now. We've invested in a few companies that are enabling people to solve those problems. So one of the companies uh, we've invested in is called Run or Run on Bitcoin. And they're a platform for building uh, smart contracts, applications, games on top of Bitcoin. So one of their one of their clients right now is a company called Chronoverse, which originally was a gaming company in Ethereum. Then the founder realized Ethereum is never going to scale, so switched over to BSV. And through Run, they have the first game that's fully on chain. So anytime kind of immutability is important, and you want to use JavaScript to build an application, which is you know the most known or one of the most known developer languages. Uh, Run is a good you know solution to use, and we see a ton of kind of companies in the BSV space using them. So, and we have a couple other infrastructure companies like that, but that's 
how we're thinking about things, like the platforms that will be essential for people to build businesses, like the way Google and you know Facebook benefit from any type of you know venture capital and new industry. Like these are essential services for solving the problems, uh, as opposed to being something a little more tangible. Um, as I, I see greater long-term upside in those types of infrastructure plays. So you're, what you're saying right now is more like a platform for a longer-term growth for the entire community, right? And building, like, you know, this is like a, a layer of infrastructure that is needed, but like there will be another layer so it's going to be added, like, uh, a little bit further down the line, right? Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the age-old question of, you know, do you invest in infrastructure? Do you invest in applications? And to what degree are application infrastructure? This is, you know, a debate before crypto, you know, was a thing and was a market. So our, our view is, yeah, our view is, you know, we want to invest in long-term infrastructure. Sometimes there's applications that fulfill that. Uh, and I think you could argue that perhaps even all of our portfolio companies are somewhat applications. But I would say we try to invest in businesses that are essential for people to solve these problems. And, you know, we'll likely invest in some businesses directly solving these problems for large enterprises. Uh, but at the stage we're at right now, uh, it, you know, I think these kind of platform plays are going to be the better bets. Perfect. So uh, I would ask you about discounts and other things, but I think it's a, like a separate conversation for <laughs> for a separate interview, like, you know, and how yeah. does it practically work? Because there's a, there's a lot of nuances in this, like, you know, uh, but I'm sure like people who are interested, they can contact you directly. And the the probably the last question I would ask you is, uh, you know, like we are having this like crazy situation with coronavirus, like an impact in the global economy and you know, almost like six plus trillion dollars stimulus package, you know, and there's uh, people are saying that's a short recession right now. There's a lot of like bearish predictions and we can see that, you know, the stock market reacted accordingly. And long story short, uh, crypto was designed uh, in sort of uh, almost like a hedge to a lot of, you know, like traditional derivatives. and. Uh, uh, and my my question to you, what is your, if you would give out like a prediction, right? What's going to happen in the New Year's future, especially considering the yeah. May uh, events and halvening events. Uh, so maybe give us a little bit of your vision. like. Yeah, well, well first off, I, I take issue with saying Bitcoin was designed as a hedge to the traditional things. I don't think there's really evidence of that. I, I think that definitely the majority of the community has viewed it as such despite, you know, empirical evidence to the contrary. Um, but, you know, I, I see long-term a Bitcoin with utility and scale potentially being, uh, you know, a meaningful hedge to fiat currencies. But I think in its current form, especially the main version of Bitcoin, uh, where holding it, I think, you know, puts yourself to some degree of legal risk, transacting on it puts yourself at, at legal risk. Uh, and the fact that it doesn't really work that well in terms of speed and, and effectiveness I don't see Bitcoin Core, you know, being a meaningful hedge anytime soon. Um, it, I see long-term, you know, a scaled version of Bitcoin potentially being a hedge there, but I, I view it much more as a, you know, it's a commodity where it's kind of like you had the opportunity to buy the commodity native to the internet if payments were part of the original kind of internet tech stack and protocol. So the commodity is just a function of how much, how many transactions of which. I think long-term, those transactions are more likely to be, you know, storing data and running applications as opposed to transacting, you know, dollar like a monetary value. 
Oh, 100%. Um, I agree with you. I, I don't even view that as a currency. I, I'm look. I'm talking about more of a store of value functionality, like a digital gold uh, replacements sure. in a way. Yeah. So so I, I think I think long term, when the digital gold is has higher utility uh, and has less volatility than perhaps, but I think we're many many years away from that. Uh, if you're looking at something as a store of value, I mean, I think gold is not that great, and you know, and you know, Bitcoin Core and Bitcoin SV right now are even worse because, you know, they are just much much more volatile. So, can something like have good asymmetric upside in times of crisis with fiat currency? Like, that's a different that's a that's a different bet and a different risk profile, uh, and definitely not, I think, a safe haven. I don't think there's really much fundamental or empirical you know, reason to support that personally. So in the near term, I see, you know, crypto largely correlating with, you know, global markets as they've continued to. And in times of kind of increased volatility, whether upwards, but especially downwards, uh, I see greater correlation. And, you know, we have kind of empirical evidence to support that both recently and in in previous times of volatility. So, uh, you know, I I personally, I, I think it's like, S&P is more likely to have like a, a big dip than it is likely to have a big run up in the near future. I don't really have high conviction either way. I think crypto will roughly track that. But I do think that there are some events in crypto that could, you know, make certain assets not track equities whatsoever. Uh, and, you know, one of them is the having. So um, generally speaking in financial markets, uh, when there's a consensus around something definitely happening, when there's not, I think, clear fundamental reasons, it's going to happen. I think if you look history of financial markets, you see those those things likely don't happen and the opposite occurs. And I think the having this year is an example of that. So most folks in the crypto community look at the fact that it happened to go up a lot during previous halvings and therefore it's going to go up now. Some people cite the fact that there's going to be less future Bitcoins, but that's kind of negligible in terms of like the actual, you know, su- supply and uh, dynamics of how the Bitcoin core network functions now. What really matters to me is the profitability for miners. So right now, the vast majority of the time, it's it's more profitable to mine Bitcoin SV than it is to mine, you know, Bitcoin Core and uh, to a lesser degree Bitcoin Cash. Uh, and it all uses the same, you know, hashing al- algorithm such that switching over between the Bitcoin networks is relatively trivial for miners. Um, they can't necessarily do it in the most efficient way per each network, especially Bitcoin Core miners switching to VSV. Uh, but they could still capture a lot of the transactions uh, relatively seamlessly. And to me, why the halving matters is the profitability for miners goes down almost 50% overnight for Bitcoin Core, where it goes down a lot less on BSV because uh, the way miners make money, I think long-term, the only way that works is by either inflating the currency um, and lifting the 21 million cap or by making enough from transaction fees, which you only get with scale. So because Bitcoin Core is writing off scaling the network, um, and for now they're writing off inflating you know, the currency, uh, I think you're gonna see mining profitably continue to dwindle. And given it's like you know, close to 100% of what miners make are from the, the mining rewards and not transaction fees, whatever that delta is at the time of the halving, between the percentage of revenue that miners make from transaction fees to mining rewards from BSV to kind of Bitcoin Core, there's going to be an instant arbitrage there between those two networks where it's instantly that percentage more profitable to mine BSV than Bitcoin Core the second that halving occurs. So if enough people switch then 
and enough hash power moves over, I think you could have like a kind of a positive feedback loop for BSV hash power, negative feedback loop for BTC hash power, and then I think similar feedback loops for the price. And if that's coupled with say, you know, other events going on then, uh, you know, any massive buys or sells of either one of the currencies, um, then I think you can see uh, potentially some major moves. And, you know, I wouldn't say this is likely, but in terms of kind of black swan events, everyone I would say would view the death of the Bitcoin core network as like 0% approaching zero, where I would probably put it between 10 and 15% um, as happening around the halving. Uh, and that's why I'm happy a lot of our, you know, most of our exposure in our liquid fund and a lot of our exposure in our main fund is not actually by owning BSV itself. It's by doing a swap between Bitcoin SV and Bitcoin Core, where we're simultaneously shorting Bitcoin Core and going long Bitcoin SV. Uh, so, you know, you're shorting right now Bitcoin Core. So you have several short positions, right? Yes. Uh, I, the, the main purpose of that position is to just be more market neutral to express our BSV long thesis and to get leverage at a really effective, you know, a really great price. Uh, but the added benefit is if if we see a scenario where the BSV and Bitcoin Core stop tracking one another and BSV ascends and Bitcoin Core kind of, or Bitcoin Cash descend, then we, you know, profit significantly more than just shorting or just owning BSV with substantially less uh, volatility and risk involved. But what is the risk management in case if Bitcoin Core goes up and Bitcoin SV goes down, like down? So what's what's your risk strategy there? So depending on uh, how things are going on both a fundamental as well as just price basis, we will close those swaps as well as potentially buy options on Bitcoin Core so we can you know, relatively cheaply hedge hedge those risks uh, because there's a lot of volatility in Bitcoin, especially lately. Uh, you know, all the versions of Bitcoin, the options are incredibly expensive. So doing kind of long term options hedging doesn't really make sense. But we're kind of set up and all prepared to be able to, you know, hedge if if something changes. Got it. Okay, so we're going to do a blitz at the end, right? So your favorite book uh, that you would recommend to read for a person who is trying to learn about crypto? Uh, anti-fragile. I know everyone's probably going to say that one, but I think before learning about, you know, anything invest investing wise, having a good framework for understanding, um, yeah, un understanding how to look at how to look at risk is good. And really, any of the Talib books are great, but I, I would start with anti-fragile and then read Black Swan after that. Perfect. And then, like the most important person for you, you know, personally in this uh, in this community. The most important person in this community, I mean, I'd probably say my team. You know, I know that's kind of a, a lame answer, but that's that's who I learn the most from, and who I think is doing some of the best research out there. I'm obviously biased, but uh, they're the most important people for me. I, I I'll, I'll give you an answer too of outside the team. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's a uh, it's going to be you know Craig Craig and Calvin. I mean, Calvin is you know spending his time and his capital growing the ecosystem, and yeah, investing you know so much money into building this out um and you know craig is amassing a you know patent fortress of blockchain patents that you know be able to use perpetually uh for free on bsv and you know also doing so much in terms of guiding the development of the community so i think both of those folks are you know adding a lot of value to our our, our community 
Got it. No, I, I, I'd really, and like, I, you know, love to continue the conversation with you later. And, you know, I like enjoyed our, you know, our interview. I think you have a very, very interesting, uh, contrarian view on many things, right? Which is great, which makes you successful and makes you like, you know, where I, where you are right now at 27, managing a hedge fund and a successful one. So uh, best of luck to your team. And uh, I hope, you know, we can share more of this idea. So I will put up all of the links, you know, like uh, that Zach mentioned, I will put them in the description and then we'll make sure that uh, all the legal disclaimers are also okay, right? <laughs> Yep. So again, it's not an investment advice. We're just talking about like, you know, and expressing our personal opinions. And uh, yeah, it was just great talking to you, Zach. And I hope you stay safe and healthy during this, uh, you know, turmoil with coronavirus. Yeah, likewise, you too, Constantine. It was a real pleasure to come on today. Thank you. Thank you.